Hello, welcome to the How to Eat Alone podcast with me, Julia Dorjalis. I'm a baker and I write about food. This podcast discusses issues surrounding loneliness, solitude and solo dining. In it, I talk to different people about various aspects of being alone. Every episode comes with a recipe based on the topic that we've discussed. And each of these recipes are designed to be cooked by one person and one person only because I find that most recipes are written for two or more people. So you can cook along whilst you listen. This episode is about understanding what loneliness actually is from a psychological perspective, from a scientific perspective. Thankfully, nowadays, therapy, where you see a psychotherapist or a psychologist or a counsellor or or someone else who specialises in some kind of talking therapy, is something that's becoming more normalised. It's definitely still not there yet. There's still a lot of stigma surrounding it, but it's definitely on its way. I've had a lot of therapy in my life. I wish I could have it all the time. I find it very, very helpful. But at the moment, it's an expense that I don't really need right now. Thing is, we've just had this enormous shared global trauma of the pandemic. And I think we all need therapy, even though most of us aren't as flush as we used to be pre-pandemic. So for a lot of people, unfortunately, therapy is a luxury that just isn't affordable. But my guest for this episode is psychologist Dr. Sophie Mort, also known as Dr. Soph. She is the author of a brilliant book. I've just finished reading it. It's called A Manual for Being Human. And it's a book about unpacking yourself. It's, you know, it's, it's, it kind of feels like going to therapy. It's a book about going on a therapy journey without actually going to see a therapist or going into a therapy room. So it's like therapy without the price tag, really. I've really taken my time reading this book. I treated it like I was going to therapy. And so I made lots of notes. I answered the questions that Sophie asks throughout her book. And the book really feels like Dr. Soph, who is this lovely, sparkly human with lots of different hairstyles and excellent dress sense. And it's kind of like she's standing on your shoulder doing a little like cheerleading routine. She's just so encouraging. There is a chapter in A Manual for Being Human about loneliness. Actually, there's lots of mention about solitude and loneliness and why we feel lonely and what we can do about it. The book really is a manual. It gives you practical solutions to emotional issues that you might have faced throughout your life. I really enjoyed it. I think everyone should read it. And I actually think that it should be a book taught in schools. So I wanted to ask Dr. Soph why she wrote the book, but but also I wanted to speak to her because I thought it was really important for this podcast to understand the kind of bones of loneliness and solitude. Like, what is it? What is it exactly? And how can we get to grips with it a little bit better? So I wrote a manual for being human for a number of reasons. I suppose the main one is... Many of us, um, most of us, I'm going to say all of us really, aren't raised to understand ourselves. We go to school and we learn about sin, cos and tan. We learn about geography and English literature, which is fantastic. But when we come out of school, we aren't equipped, for example, to understand our emotions. We don't understand the fight or flight response, which is the foundation of stress. We don't know how to form and really nurture important relationships in our life. 
And we don't know how to understand ourselves or cope when we struggle. And if you think about the fact that there's pretty much a manual for everything, you know, um, if you want to fix your car, if you want to learn how to sew, there's literally a book for everything. But the thing that we don't have a manual for is understanding the very things that make us us. Yes, the self-help industry right now has blossomed, but each of the books linked to self-help are focused on one specific area, such as the inner critic, such as dating. But no one had written a book that took you from your first breath to your present day, giving you the foundation of everything that explains who you are, why you struggle, what makes you tick and how to move forward. It does kind of pull everything together quite well. I mean, this podcast really is about kind of loneliness and solitude and aloneness. And I I feel, feel like the whole of the Manual for Being Human does talk about this journey that you go on on your own. But maybe we could focus a little bit on, on loneliness and, and, and solitude, because I think you write about it very well. And what, what is loneliness? What, what do you think loneliness is? Well, I suppose maybe the best way to frame it is what's the difference between solitude and loneliness? Because yeah. um, I think oftentimes people assume loneliness means being alone, and that's absolutely not true. Um, solitude is when you feel comfortable in your aloneness. Loneliness Mm. is when you feel like you have not chosen that disconnection. It is when you don't feel like you have control over reaching out and connecting to the people you need around you. It's when you often don't know how that disconnection is going to end. So when you're experiencing solitude, you may be, I don't know, totally alone. You might be in a hut thousands of miles from other people or you might simply be in the bathtub in your own home but you know that at any time you could pick up your phone or walk out of that door and rekindle that web of relationships that you have around you when you are feeling lonely you could be in a room full of people or again you could be totally alone but you don't know how to bridge the gap between you and someone else in order to feel seen heard, accepted and loved. And actually often, often the most lonely experiences is or are when you're surrounded by others that you feel disconnected from. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's so it's, it's, it's a choice, really. It's, it's, it's having that power to choose. The idea that we have control, I can choose to connect to other people when I need to, when I want to. And this feeling can be ended the moment I reach out to someone else. How, and how do you think that kind of manifests in our society? How, how does loneliness kind of feature in our society? Well, what's really interesting is pre, pre-pandemic, I can't remember the exact numbers, but it was something like people spent 80% of their awake hours in the company of others. During COVID, obviously that number dropped so significantly. Yeah. And so because of the pandemic, loneliness is rife because people literally were unable to connect with, see and engage with the people that normally made them feel good, made them feel loved, made them know that they were seen. If you think about the fact that we even lost those small talk incidences, you know, when you're waiting at the bus stop and maybe you just start chatting to the person next to you, even that level of interaction was gone. One of the reasons pre-pandemic people were feeling lonely was also because we've got a lot of this quite fast food interaction going on between people. So I don't know if you've seen this in cafes or in your own life. You'll notice that two people are sitting near each other and they could be talking, but instead they're looking at their phones. Yeah. So what we're noticing is a lot of loneliness is arising in life, either contextually, because people can't be near each other, or because they're choosing a social media 
um, a digital relationship over these real time face to face interactions. And it's really interesting because loneliness has a physical response inside us that's quite intense but that can masquerade or look like other things. And so a lot of people are experiencing loneliness or disconnection and not realising that what they're feeling is due to that experience. How how does it masquerade? Like, what does it masquerade as? So loneliness can feel like, well, or can lead to, for example, insomnia. The fact that our ancestors survived by being in groups. If our ancestors had been kicked out of the tribe, if they'd had to sleep alone at night, it might have spelt instant death, right? They had no one to fight with. They had no resources to survive from. So when our ancestors would have been kicked out of the group, a stress response will have mounted in their body, which would have alerted them to return to the group. Now, you and I have this each day. I don't know if you've ever seen a picture, for example, on Instagram of your friends having fun without you. And that experience of FOMO is a very strong physical reaction. Yeah. Right. That physical response is meant to signify danger, danger. We might be kicked out of the group. Get back to the group as quickly as you can. So in modern life, if you or I are feeling lonely or disconnected, we might have a physical stress response. And then at night we might keep waking up because, again, think about our ancestors. They'd kind of sleep with one eye open, wouldn't they, to keep an eye out for danger? I've never thought about that before. Yeah. Right. So it's, sometimes people don't realise that their sleeplessness is because they're feeling disconnected to others. They don't realise that the stress response, anxiety or sudden feeling of actual demotivation because they're feeling tired and anxious is actually due to the fact they're feeling disconnected, not another reason. So it's kind of like loneliness is protecting us, really. Yeah, it's meant to say, get back to the group, stay safe. And one of the really interesting um, or two really interesting things in research is we know that people, when they're feeling disconnected... So lonely, not in solitude. Yeah. We know that they touch things more. They physically pick things up and touch the edges and feel objects in their environment more than someone who's feeling connected. And we think that's because they're looking for this tactile feedback, you know, this sensory feedback that you would normally get when around others. So that's the first thing. And secondly, we know that people are more likely to shop they are more likely to buy new items or, or old or vintage items. But there is a direct connection with how much people wow. start spending money and buying items and how they feel in their relationships. And you can understand why, right? If you're feeling just yeah. that thrill, that hit of buying something that you can hold, that you can touch, that is yours, um, starts to alleviate some of that disconnected feeling that we experience during loneliness. And we oh, talk about things like skin yeah. hunger, the idea that when we're not around other people, we crave this physical connection that i love the term skin hunger because it's so descriptive our skin literally craves the contact of other humans but so what what can we do about loneliness sophie what 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 can we how can we go about alleviating those sorts of feelings well i think firstly identify if it is that you're feeling lonely right you know yeah yeah. because i think what we're talking about is a lot of people just don't realize that some of the strange experiences they have are loneliness so firstly identify do you feel disconnected from others and also a lot of us feel shame admitting that we might feel lonely we feel like other people won't understand it we feel like they'll think oh wow there must be something wrong with your ability to socialize if you feel alone Absolutely not. We're in what we call a loneliness pandemic. We're appointing a minister for loneliness. You know, if you feel lonely, I guarantee that most of the people you see day to day or sit next to on the bus or that you speak to in your local shop have the experience too. So identify it and don't feel shame for it. 
Uh, that's easier said than done, I realise. Recognise if you feel shame about it and offer <laughs> yourself a kind word. Yeah. The next thing is, and this is really important, most people don't realise that there are different kinds of loneliness. Did you know that? No, I didn't know that. Okay, so for example, there's situational loneliness. This is the idea that it is your environment is the sole reason for that loneliness. So the pandemic, right? People were experiencing situational loneliness, as in if the lockdown went, the loneliness would go too because they would immediately rekindle those old connections. Or moving to a new city. I, um, I remember when I moved to New York a few years ago, um, I suddenly didn't have any connections and my experience of loneliness was directly situational. If this is you, what you do is you recognise, okay, this feeling I have is because I'm not in the right environment yet to connect to others. So you ask yourself, what steps can I take today to meet new people or to connect with old friends who maybe aren't, ne- aren't nearby over email or phone? Then you might want to identify, is my loneliness social. So this is where you have a few close friends, but maybe you don't feel like you belong to a wider group. Or you have a partner, but outside of that person, feel like you don't have connections to other friends. This is one of those situations where what you're going to need to focus on is hobbies, right? Friendships are mainly made by having shared interests and experiences. So if your loneliness is social, as in you're looking for wider social connections, The reason I go straight to hobbies is because things like meetup.com, you know, has these thousands of groups that you can access on the day that you realise that's what you need. So think about your passions, think about your talents and figure out what group you could sign up to today. Maybe a walking group or a book club, for example. And I have two more types of loneliness. Is your loneliness emotional? So this means that you have something that you wish to share with others, but you can't. So you know when you're surrounded by people, but you're wanting to talk about your kind of deepest, darkest secret and feel like no one will understand. Have you ever had that? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yes, I've definitely experienced that. So if this is you, it may be that you're looking for these kind of deeper, more intimate friendships or people that you trust to share your secrets with. It may be that you just need to be bold enough to message a friend saying, hey, I'm struggling, can we talk about it? Or if you recognise that you don't have a friend that you trust, it may be that this is the time when you want to engage a therapist because their job is basically professional secret keeper. And the final one is, is your loneliness chronic? Because this is a real issue, is that loneliness often leads to a cycle which makes loneliness worse. So if you think about, I said that loneliness can affect your sleep and makes you feel anxious and low in mood. Often what then happens is it removes the energy that you would usually use to overcome loneliness, right? To, to bother to message your friends, to get out there and meet new people. So if your loneliness is chronic and you recognise it's become a way of life, it's going to be about sitting down and planning the steps you are going to take to slowly reconnect with others that would be helpful for you. And that last one is so hard to get out of. I think a lot of people will probably agree it's if you do feel like you've already kind of in the depths of that isolation, it's just really difficult to pull yourself out of it, isn't it? And to believe that you deserve to be pulled out of it. You know, um, what really happens when we're feeling anxious or low and when we're feeling extremely lonely is our inner critic tends to get very loud, you know, saying other people don't have this problem. It must be because of you. Something wrong with you. Well, yeah, because we're just we're just spending time with our inner critic. Our inner critic yes. becomes like our only pal, you know. So it's so it's loud because it's the only thing that we've that we've got. I think. Yes, exactly, and that's why you know, um, I said about a minister for loneliness. This is why there are so many schemes being set up at the moment, like chatty benches and chatty tables in cafes, where you're going to be able to go, and there'll be a little sign on the table saying. 
anyone sitting here is looking for a conversation. Um, slow queues in supermarkets where the whole point is, if you're willing, you're going to strike up a conversation with the people behind you. Online groups where people have meetups from different locations where they just sit and chat with each other and have a cup of tea. It, is it going to work? Is, is it going to... Because... Because the thing is, is that we're British, right? So, so is that just something that's inherently British that we don't, we don't really talk to each other? I'm well, I just think that everything takes time, doesn't it? So I, yeah, I talk yeah. to everyone because I'm just very, very aware that you could be the only person who speaks to that person in a day, right? I will yeah. always say hi if I'm sitting at a bus stop. Not in like a weird hi in your face. <laughs> if there's like a weird lull, I'll be like, oh, hey, how are you? Or I'll say something like, oh, it's a nice day, you know, proper British small talk. Yeah. And actually, to be honest, I have the, a very different experience, which is most people do, even if it's awkward, just mumble something back. And I think the amazing thing about humans is how they adapt. I mean, we thought the pandemic was, well, firstly, we thought the pandemic was never going to happen. Mm -hmm. Then I remember when we, we first got locked down, people saying, oh, my word, can you imagine if we're not back in work until September? <laughs> and now, you know, now it's the following <laughs> September and most people still aren't back in work and humans have made it work. We think we can't adapt. We think we can't be OK with things, but we always if we're given enough time, come around to it. So let's say, for example, these chatty benches, these slow queues, whatever other schemes are put in place for loneliness. Yes, at first, maybe people won't take them up. But if we persist with them, and if people, if there are some brave souls who are willing to sit at that table when no one else is, who are willing to start up conversations, persist, over time, people will take it up. And if you think about the amount of groups that are already available online that we just don't see in everyday spaces that have so many people using them. How many people yeah. have befrienders calling them each day from, for example, um, some of the older charities, you know, child, charities such as Help the Aged. We know that they are a lifeline for a lot of people. It's just that we're not talking about them in everyday conversation. You and I just don't see them because they're not in the cafes that we're normally in. That's why your podcast is such a brilliant topic and so important. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's funny how when I started talking about it, I've had so much response. I, I hope you don't mind me asking this, but, but what's your kind of relationship with solitude and loneliness? How, have you, how is it infiltrated your life so i need a lot of time alone yeah i think what's really complicated here and actually is the reason i wrote such a long book is that there are many reasons why people seek alone time and there's many reasons why some people will find being alone solitude <laughs> um, and reach and a moment to recharge and why other people will find it actually quite intrusive and overwhelming and one of those things yeah. for example is i have what you would call an avoidant attachment style. And this means that um, I am kind of like a cat, right? I love being social. I love connecting to others, but um, I kind of need to do it on my own terms. Then next thing is I'm a social introvert, right? So extroversion and introversion links to where you gain your energy from. When I'm around people, I absolutely love it, but I burn like a sparkler, meaning I have a very short, uh, short um, burning time. And then once I've given all of my energy away, I need to go and be on my own to regroup. So for me, being alone for at least an hour a day is an utter joy. But I have experienced as well that loneliness where I've been so desperate to connect with others, particularly actually when I had panic attacks at the age of 18 where I simply had no idea of who I could confide in, who wouldn't judge me and who could help me. So I love being alone, but I've 
absolutely experienced that really painful, painful time of deep loneliness. Right, yeah. I can relate to that, and I think a lot of people probably can also relate to that. Like, being alone for, a, you know, for maybe 20 minutes, an hour a day, is kind of one of the most important parts of my day as well, really. I think extrovertedness and introvertedness is kind of not really something that's understood because you can have people who are really sociable but who just need that time to themselves and it sounds like you're that kind of person. Yeah, because people assume introversion and extroversion is to do with how social you are and it's not at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. It's, it's not a black and white thing, is it? Yes. it yeah, I, I loved that, the, the, you know, the section of your book at the, right at the beginning where you are talking about attachment styles. I think it's really important that everyone learns their attachment styles because it really helped. What, what do you do when you're on your own? Oh, I love that question because I'm, I'm thinking, what do I do? No one knows. I suppose you've used this analogy of a cat, right? And I, I kind yes. of... Like, I always want to know what cats are doing when they're, when they're not with you. It's like, I'd r- like to put a little camera on, on, yes. my, on my cat's head just to see what, what she's up to. It's kind of like when I'm on my own. It's like, I don't really know what I do. I should probably film myself and see what I actually do. It's such a good point. Yeah, I honestly don't know. I imagine I move from making coffee to going sitting down. Then I'll suddenly I remember <laughs> I need to do something in the house. So I'll go and pot to do that. It's like, a, it's, I have no idea, but I know that at the end of the day... I just have this deep sense of whether I've had enough alone time or not, but I have no <laughs> idea what I'm doing. And what? But what? What do you eat when when you're on your own? Do you, do you cook a lot, or or what, what? What's your kind of eating pattern? So it's really interesting because one of my favourite things to do is take myself out for dinner. Ooh. So if I'm eating alone in the house, I'm actually incredibly lazy. Um, as in. I'll just kind of see what's in the fridge and make something that pleases me, but doesn't, you know, take too many steps. But if I can ever, you know, since, for example, lockdown lifted and we've been able to go to restaurants, oh my word, taking myself to either take myself to kind of a a brunch spot and having eggs and really good coffee is my favourite thing to do, or going out for dinner somewhere quite bougie, putting on a ridiculous outfit and then feeling really smug that... Well, you know, when they ask you at the door how many people at the table and you say, oh, just me. And they look at you really kind of incredulous as if to say, really? And I'm like, yes, I'm taking myself out for food. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You're so rare. I just love it. I just love it. And I normally always order when I do that a glass of champagne and then maybe a big bowl of pasta or it depends on where I've gone. Yeah, I'm a big fan of champagne and fancy food alone. That's, that is so rare. I kind of wasn't expecting you to say that. But also, I like the idea of, like, just taking the mick out of the waiters, just being like, yeah, I'm alone, and what? Well, it's, fu- it's so funny to see how they respond, isn't it? I had one person, I'm not kidding, say to me, what, just you, you're not waiting for anyone. I said, no, and she was like, oh, shall I put you in the back so that no one sees? <laughs> No, put me in the window so everybody can see. (laughs) No, I want that window seat, exactly as you say. I I think I really love being an adult. I really love having reached a point in my life where I get to make a decision about what am I going to eat right now? Where do I want to go? And I really feel proud that I can afford to feed myself. So I think when I take myself for a meal, I don't ever feel like, oh, I'm doing this because there's no one to go with. No, I feel like... Yes, I'm an adult. I'm feeding myself and look at me go. <laughs> like, look at me. I'm putting food on the table and putting it in my mouth. That's so amazing. <laughs> <laughs> 
great. And, you know, I hope I hope other people can kind of take something away from that a little bit because people really don't... I, I think dinner especially, people really don't like to eat dinner on their own. What's your favourite thing to eat? Like, what's your kind of favourite food? Alone or not, or not, or not alone? Um, okay, so I think my favourite food is probably... I'm going to say this word wrong, almost certainly. Pokey? That is such a good dish to make by yourself. Yeah. I've done it so many times for myself because it's really, really quick. Yes, exactly. And it's so good and so fresh and so delicious. I mean, British summertime this year has been really quite rubbish. But still, I think yeah. having that meal makes me feel like I live somewhere hot and sunny. And, you know, yeah. like life is good. Yeah, it's like sunshine food. I have to say, that is my breakup food. Oh, is it? Say more. Yeah, like so, so fish, really. Fish kind of like, like raw fish. It's, it, I don't know why. Whenever someone breaks up with me, and I'm going to say whenever someone breaks up with me because I don't think I've ever broken up with anyone. I've always been dumped. I always eat. That's, that's what I make for myself. I always eat that. It's a weird thing. <laughs> I love that. So I am totally, totally, totally hooked on oysters which again is the, probably the most pretentious thing I've ever said, um, but is also something I don't ever eat alone or at home. But it feels, I think again, it's this thing of it being a treat. You know, I think when you're cooking for yourself, it can be really hard to remember to treat yourself and make yourself delicious food. Maybe you disagree with that. But you know, when someone comes over, you, I'm much more inclined if someone else is coming for dinner to spend time thinking about the ingredients, to really make something I think they'll enjoy. Um, and I don't give myself that kind of same treatment. And I think when then when I go out to a restaurant and they have oysters on the menu, I'm like, yes, please. This yeah. feels like luxury. I've it's been told luxury. by society yeah. it's fancy yeah. and I am going to treat myself to that fancy meal. Yeah, we don't really treat ourselves. That's kind of how this podcast started in the first place because... I was just eating rubbish and I wasn't eating good food. And then I was like, well, I don't know how much longer I'm going to be in this pandemic. I need to start upping my game. I need to up yes. my game a little bit. So so what you're saying is, I think, the way everyone should be feeling. Not, OK, let's just say we shouldn't be like eating, I don't know, steak and oysters every single day of our lives sometimes it's fine just to eat plain food baked beans are the best exactly it's the fact that we need to remember that on occasion we deserve to be treated as well as we like to treat yeah, other yeah. people treat someone who we love because we should love ourselves we should try and impress ourselves <laughs> yes oh my word and i impress myself every time i order oysters and champagne <laughs> It's always a bit alarming to me, actually, when I realise how much we all do cook just for show. You know, how much we cook to impress and to take care of others. We cook for validation from other people. But really, if we find ourselves alone, we have to start changing this and be the ones to validate ourselves and not overlook our own needs. Eating is a pretty major need, isn't it? Sophie understands that she needs her own space and she revels in it really and it's something that I've only really learned to do recently and it's a skill that lots of us have to learn it doesn't necessarily come naturally to a lot of us because as Sophie says society dictates that we have to stick within this group we have to belong to a tribe you know that's absolutely fine it's great being with other people and it's part of our social history but modern life's changed and we need to understand that being alone is okay now you know like nothing's gonna eat us and we have access to resources even if we are alone 
I want to say a big thank you to her for talking to me and just explaining all these different nuances of loneliness and why we might feel lonely. I think it was really enlightening. I just want to go back to the fact that I mentioned, I think it's a weird thing to admit, that when someone breaks up with me, I eat raw fish, okay? I said it, it's true. I decided to invest in a sushi kit once when some guy broke up with me and I remember inviting one of my best girlfriends around after a particularly hurtful breakup and I made her lots and lots of ceviche and I love making poke for myself. It's one thing that I make kind of often actually. Maybe sushi is not so simple but ceviche and poke are a doddle. They're really really easy as long as you can get hold of good fish. Don't be scared to prepare raw fish for yourself. It is fine as long as you treat it properly and I've given you some steps on the blog. So I've put up the recipe for a very impressive poke bowl for one person which you can find at howtoeatalone.substack.com. If you feel like subscribing to my Substack please do. I love new subscribers. There are both free and paid options, so see what works for you. Subscribers to my Substack get access to more articles about eating alone, more recipes, and just generally more stuff about eating on your own. Follow the podcast on Instagram. The handle is at How to Eat Alone Podcast. And I've also added some links to Sophie's book, a little bit more about how you can keep in touch with everything that she's got going on. And also an attachment style quiz. We spoke a little bit about this during the episode. Attachment styles are kind of a really good way of understanding how you relate to other people in relationships. And I personally find it super useful to know what my attachment style is. As always, if you like this podcast, please share it with someone who you think might like it too. Thank you so much for listening. I really hope you enjoyed being alone with me and I'll see you for the next episode of How to Eat Alone.